chapter 11. As we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Hebrews 11. Pick it up in verse 8, but we're going to get a running start. (laughs) Now by faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of the things that are visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. Now by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now by faith, Noah also being divinely warned of the things not seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he received as an inheritance, And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for that city which has its foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Now by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, And she bore a son when she was past the age, because she had judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sands which are on the seashore. Now these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise, offered up his only begotten son, of whom he said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob When he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. And lastly, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave them instruction concerning his bones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word and we thank you for the power that lies within it. As we see the patriarchs of the faith today, Lord, that we would be encouraged to live the life like they did, to push through the religious persecutions and the worldly uh, just attractions, Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us once again in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I forgot um, Alex's little note to me. VBS meeting Sunday after second service. So if you want to be a part of VBS there will be a they will be a meeting after second service for that. 
Now, as we opened up this chapter, we saw that we were running a race and that, that we have this great cloud of witness in chapter 12 encouraging us to continue this race that is set before us. And the writer to the Hebrew then reveals the Old Testament saints and what he is telling those to whom he is writing to, remember, wanting to go back into the old system, what he is telling them is there is nothing that they are currently experiencing that someone else has not experienced. In fact, they have experienced even more than they have experienced, and they did it, they went through it. And that's always an encouragement to us. That's why we study the Bible continually. What if, what if at the end we're just like, okay, we're done, we've done it four times, see you later. No, we continue to go through them because in different stages of our life, you might be right now a woman that needs to be encouraged by Sarah. Or you need to be encouraged like Joseph that says, I don't want my stinking bones in Egypt. Take them back to the promised land. I don't want to have anything to do with Egypt. So as we go through the Bible, we're constantly encouraged because we enter different parts of our life. Does that make sense? So that it's not, oh no, it's again. It's, oh Lord, what new thing will you help me through? Amen, isn't that good news? That's what the Bible is, and that's what it just shocks me that churches do not continue to take their people through the Bible. So we started out by seeing what faith was, and we saw it demonstrated through Abel there. Again, Abel was teaching us uh, what it's like to be persecuted, right, from the canes of this world. And then we got to Enoch and how terrible the world and the corruption was in his life and that you can live a life of faith knowing that you're the only one on planet Earth that's trying to walk and please God. And then uh, my favorite, which was last week too, Noah. God told him to build a boat when he didn't even know what a boat was, let alone rain nor a flood. And Noah taught us that you can be the only one on planet Earth that is doing what God has called you to do, crazy as it is. But you, you are faithful in that call to complete it. And aren't we glad that Noah did his job or we wouldn't be here? And that takes us into verse 8, and we get to now Abraham. Now, think about what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. He's brilliant. That, I, that's why I really think that it's Paul, because Paul has this kind of legal mind. He's setting out this legal case to them. Why are you guys going back? Why are you going into the system that is null and void now? Oh, and by the way, exhibit A, B, C, D. Let's get Abe out, right? He is Father Abraham. Next week, we'll look at Moses. These are the two most important people to them as the Jewish nation. And he is using them as, as an example. If they had a faith to trust in God, so too you need to have faith to trust in Jesus <laughs> to complete the work that he has called you to go through. And so by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to get out to the place in which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Please circle the word obey, because the life of Abraham, although flawed, like everybody else in the Bible, they've, they've got their issues, right? Like we learned on Sunday with Martin Luther, great man of God, and then some things pop up. Well, Abraham, same thing, but yet he is the father of the Jewish nation. It says that he obeyed. Obedience was important to what was about to happen in his life. You see, Abraham was an idolater living in Ur of the Chaldees. We know that. And when God appeared to him, he told him to move. And with obedience of faith, he left his home and his country, not knowing his ultimate destination. Doubtless, friends ridiculed him, his you know, his boss, his aunt, whoever it was, Facebook friend, they're like, what are you doing? What, where are you going? I don't know. But you're going? Yep. Who told you to do that? God. 
right, God really spoke to you? Yeah, he did. And he told me to go to a faraway country. Well, which direction? I don't know. Anyone encouraged yet? Not yet. <laughs> I, I always love putting ourselves in the midst of these men and women. Wait till we get to having the kids between Abraham and Sarah. But this is just the beginning. Abraham, yes, go. Okay. Leaving family and friends and setting out on a journey. Again, the walk of faith often gives the impression to others of being imprudent and reckless. <laughs> but the man who knows God is, is content to be led, listen, blindfolded, not knowing the route ahead. Um, did anyone else sign up for that? You're like, Lord, I'm going to follow you. See, what we want is this. Lord, you tell me step A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, then I will follow you. That's not by faith. That's not a walk of faith at all. It is trusting in God that he is a good, good father. I know I'm coming back to that for the last year and a half, but it is. It's true. Do you believe that? And if you believe that he will take care of you, no matter what the circumstance, then we must put our faith in the not knowing. But we don't like that. I want to know. Well, that's not faith. And that doesn't encourage anyone else. I mean, what if someone said, well, tell me what's going on. Well, the Lord revealed everything to me. And, but that's not walking by faith. When you step out in faith and it seems ridiculous and it seems like you are crazy, God's like, you're in good company. I mean, think about it. You're in company with Abraham. So God called Abraham to go. Please note with me, he did and he obeyed and he went. And God did not tell him where he was going. And so Abraham teaches us that by faith, we trust in God in the direction he is sending us, even when we don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there. This is a great lesson. And this is a lesson for the Hebrews that they need to heed, and he brings up the big guy. He brings up Abraham. Again, it's about obedience and the unknown. And again, you could just hear all of the co-workers and everybody, why are you leaving a prosperous city of Ur of the Chaldees to go somewhere where you don't even know where you're going? Now listen, I am not suggesting that anybody uh, take, take on the Abraham trek here. In fact, let me just make mention of this. My wife and I talk about this all the time, that if you're moving, you need to make sure that you have where you're going a solid church before you even make a move. Don't you dare make a move and then go somewhere like, well, I don't know where to go to church. Find that first, even before housing, and say, Lord, do you really want me to go to Amarillo? And I'm sure it's a fine town. Don't send me emails. We've got a water park. I don't. There's a lot of Christians, a lot of choices in following Jesus. There's a lot of noise that comes in, and, and our choice to follow Jesus needs to be, well, it needs to be more important than anything else. Oftentimes, what others think about your decision is going to be wrong. I need you to hear this. Other people will look at your decision and say that you are wrong. Funny enough that there was a guy in the Old Testament named Job. And his friends were wrong about him and actually made statements that he was sinning and it was his fault that he was greedy and he none of that was true at all. Was it? Be ready for your friends to say stupid things. Just what this world is. It doesn't understand Abraham. It doesn't understand the walk of faith. And what Abraham teaches us is that we can be the only one <laughs> doing what God has called us to do. 
in the midst of the world. And God says, listen, I, I, I need you to take, take step one. And this is how God works. This is what we don't like, is that God often gives us the first part to see if we will obey. And then he'll give you step two and see if you obey and give you step three. Anyone like that program? It doesn't matter if you like it. That's God's plan. That's God's program. I don't like that. Then you're like many people who are control freaks. I like to control my environment. God wants you, wants you to lay that aside. He wants you to trust him. I know that I'm telling you, but that's difficult for you. I get that. But this is going to be an, an amazing witness to others in your life is when they know that you're a control freak and you all of a sudden start saying, you know, I'm just trusting in the Lord that he's guiding me on this pack. Isn't that freaking you out? Yes, but I'm trusting him. And this is how God works. And so the writer to the Hebrews is wanting them to know, like Abraham, that they can leave the things they know, like the rituals in the temple, the sacrificial system, and the law of Moses, that they can leave what they know like Ur of the Chaldees and go into the unknown, which is Jesus, walking by faith. Now, I don't mean to say it this way, so no one take it the wrong way, but the Old Testament is, is, is works, what you see, is it not? The New Testament is not that at all. It is, we are walking by faith, and trusting in this carpenter who is the son of God. And that's what the writer is saying. These people in the Old Testament did it. You can do it too. Don't go back to the temple, what you can see. Don't go back to the works-based system. The writer wants them to know that we have examples in the Old Testament that shows that it can be done. This walk of faith can be done. Bless you. So by faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he is going. And by faith, it says in verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Jacob, and the heirs with him in the same promise. What is amazing about Abraham is that he knew even though God had given him the land, he still never built a house. He lived in a tent the entire time because as we will see, he knew he was waiting for the builder and the maker of God that, he, that his ultimate destination was heaven. And so he dwelt in the land of promise, which was his, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Isaac was the same way. Jacob. They, were, they, they had the right perspective in where they were living. Notice, for he waited for the city, verse 10, which has its foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He had the promise of that which was to come, and he put his trust in God that, listen, this world is not my home anyway, and so I'm going to trust in God whatever. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to be dumb and just like, I'm just waiting for God to do it all. You don't get to play that because God will say, well, then you're, you're going to be really hungry. You still have to uh, occupy till I come. We still have to work. Husbands, we still have to provide. We have things that we must do. But there is a trust in God. And again, that he knows more than we do. <laughs> then we get to Sarah. Oh, I love Sarah. Sarah's fun. She laughed at God. Now, how would you like that, ladies, recorded in the Bible? <laughs> and then when Jesus asked Sarah, did you laugh? She go, I didn't laugh. He's like, oh, yeah, you laughed. <laughs> like, you can't fool God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because notice, she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, the scene of this is that we are at the 25-year mark in a minute 
when God had set forth the promise to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations and that his seed would be as the stars and the sands of the seashore, as we see in a minute. And so you can imagine coming home, wife, I've got great news. He's 75. We're going to have a kid. And then nothing happened for 25 years. How frustrating is that? Now, and and I, I'm not saying, but what if Sarah just says, like, what's the deal? Where Where's your God, Abraham? And then what does she do? She brings in Hagar. She brings... She brings a solution by the flesh, and then we get Ishmael, and now we've got what we have on planet Earth because of that. Not the seed of promise. And at some point, God removed all of Sarah from Sarah. You see, God is teaching us through the life of Sarah that even though it looks physically impossible, because now she's 90, Can you imagine that conversation? So uh, 25 years before your husband comes home and says, hey, we're going to be this great nation, and then 25 years go by, and then he has another conversation with her and says, hey, um, you know, go to the doctor's office and tell them to get, you know, the folic acid and the vitamin B and all the stuff that you need because you're going to have a kid, and she cracks up. Like, what are you talking about? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Abe, you're 99. We'll see that in a minute. I love how God describes that in Hebrews here. We have more definition and description in here than we have in the Old Testament about these two. It's wonderful. But this is what God is teaching us through Sarah, is that even though it looks physically impossible, the promise can still come. And even when other people doubt and tell you to give up. Would we not agree that plenty of people have said that to Sarah? People can say really dumb things, can't they? People can say dumb things, even though they don't mean to say dumb things. It just, we're humans, and we, we want to encourage somebody, but we don't really have tact. And so we say something dumb, and then we hurt that person. Even though, you, Can you imagine the friends of Sarah? Sarah, give it up. You're 90. Look at your old man, and I mean old man. God is not doing this work. Just give up. And yet, this verse tells us that she remained faithful who had promised her. You see, even when other people doubt and tell you to give up, God tells you to hold on, yes, even for 25 years. Oftentimes, he wants us to be completely poured out, completely broken before he does a new work. Sarah teaches us that no matter how old we are or what physical infirmities we might have or limitation given over to God's purposes, he can still use it. You see, no matter what your age is, God can still use you for his purposes. There are all kinds of exciting ministries, like children's ministry. Very exciting. Is that good, Alec? Keep, I'm, keep plugging for him. We need to be pouring ourselves again into the next generation, praying for the church, praying for Arrowwood, praying for uh, just a multitude of things. Don't get to the place like you're at Sarah in 90 and think God can't use me. He's about to use you, Sarah. Notice, because she had judged him faithful who had promised. She believed that God was a good, good father. And that if he promised it, it would be fulfilled. It just may take some time. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead. Now, if I'm, if I'm Abraham, I'm looking at this from heaven and going, you really have to write that about me? Good as dead? But don't you, all, don't you love how the Bible describes things? This guy, done. There is no medicine. There is no nothing that is going to help this guy. He's 99. 
She's 90. Not happening. <laughs> but therefore, from one man, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars and the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sands in which is the seashore. And then notice it says, then he died. He died in faith. Do you realize that Abraham never saw the actual promise fulfilled? Oh, he saw his son. We're going to get to that in a minute. He's going to see Isaac, but he doesn't see anything other than that. Oftentimes, we don't see the end product. Man, I think about Pastor Chuck. I think about all these great men and women of the Bible. I, I think about 2,000 years of history. I think about Martin Luther, and I think about Wilberforce, and how eventually that slavery is completely wiped out of both continents. He didn't see that come. He died before, Wilberforce died before it passed the ultimate abol abolishment of slavery in England. He didn't get to see it done. And so it teaches us to trust in the Lord even though it doesn't seem like it's going to even happen. <laughs> so then they all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. So even though they didn't see the fulfillment, they knew that it would be fulfilled because God promised it, no matter what. Not only that, as they embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Again, these patriarchs teach us that their homeland was not on planet earth. They were citizens of heaven. And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out of, they would have had an opportunity to re return. And saying, again, that they were seeking a homeland, the writer wants to make it clear that he is not referring to the land of their birth because if Abraham had desired to go back to Mesopotamia or to Ur of the Chaldees, he could have done that, but he chose not to. He says, but now they desire, here's that word for us, a better that is a heavenly country. They knew that this world, although temporary, was not their home. Their home was to be with the Lord. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. And so by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is, is, it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be uh, called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received it in a figurative sense. So let's look at 17, 18, 19 in the lens of Genesis chapter 22. Let's turn to it. So we go Abraham, Sarah, and now back to Abraham after the promise, Isaac. Again, his name means laughter. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Notice whom you love. Would you note that word love, by the way? It's the first time it's used in the Bible. And there is something in the Bible called the, the first mentions principle, which is if you want to know a definition of something, you go to where it is first mentioned in the Bible. And what is love describing? The love of a father for his son and the sacrifice of, this, of the father's, uh, uh, the sacrifice of Isaac. And Abraham. It shows us right here in Genesis 22 the love that our Heavenly Father has and that He sent His only begotten Son. He said, Whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, that is present day Jerusalem, and offer Him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I should tell you. Now, 
If you don't know what a burnt offering is, it's not a sin offering and it's not a peace offering. A burnt offering is fully consumed in the fire. That means there is nothing left of the sacrifice. What did God just tell Abe? Go offer your son completely upon the altar, nothing to be left. Now, what did God already promise Abraham? He already promised him that Isaac would be the seed, that from Isaac would come all of the, ge- the generations of Jews after that. So, put that in your head for a minute. Okay, God told me that my son, the promised son, is going to be the heir of all things and all the nations will come from him. But he just told me to take him to Jerusalem and offer him as a burnt offering. So, he is reconciling that in his mind, is he not? Well, let's see what he does. And so Abraham rose early in the morning. Now, if I was Abraham, and aren't we glad I'm not, uh, maybe I would have waited till noon. Think about what he is doing. He is ready to go and sacrifice his son. Is that huge or what? I mean, listen, you give Abraham a real big high five and hug. This example of Abraham is amazing. Notice this. He saddles the donkey, and he takes two of the young men with him. Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Please note with me the third day. Why is that important? There's nothing in the Bible especially numbers that are by happenstance. In Abraham's mind, his, his son is dead, and his son is dead for three days. What's going to happen on the third day? Let's see. Some of you don't know this historical account, but it's one of my favorites in the Bible. You should always know where Genesis 22 is. And so on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place far off. This is the land of Moriah. Abraham sacrifices his son on the very place that Jesus will be sacrificed. The exact same mountain. There is no temple, it's just a hill. Later on, David will buy the threshing floor from Ornon. Later on, the temple will be built on this area. Mount Moriah is 777 meters above sea level. All of these things are in the Bible. God has a specific place, and it says he's taken to the place. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. Notice, underline this, the lad and I will go yon. I love these phrases. You could tell he's southern. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, when you look at Lad, please don't look at Lad as he's a 12-year-old. We think that he is in his 30s, and there are guys who think that he is exactly the age of Jesus, so that everything from here is a picture of what will happen with Jesus. And I mean, to the letter here, what's about to happen. But notice what Abraham says to the young men. The lad and I will go, and what will happen? And we will come back. That's what the writer is saying. The writer says, we'll get to it in a minute. In his mind, he knows what he is about to do. But what he knows is, this is God's problem, not my problem. Do you hear that? God had given him a promise that Isaac would become the seed. So it's like, okay, Lord, I'll do what you want. But you got to raise him from the dead or do whatever. It's your problem This is your promise to the future Jewish nation. Don't you love that? And this isn't us being kind of flippant about it and putting it on God, but it's, listen, when we've got issues, say, Lord, I'm your kid, but this is your problem. Let's work through it. So let's take a look at it. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and then he laid it on him. Where did he lay it on him? On his back, Jesus bore his wood to the cross. It's all right here. 
And he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. Now, at what point, this is why I want to see this in heaven and then talk to Isaac. Like, Isaac, at what point were you thinking dad was, like, a little crazy? Like, you know, I know he's over 100. He's getting, I mean, he's really getting up there. And so I'm carrying wood. He's carrying fire and a knife. (laughs) And there's no animal. I mean, what's going through Isaac's mind? (laughs) By the way, Isaac and his obedience is amazing as well. That's what we're going to see in a second. And so the two of them went together. And again, what was the conversation like? I don't know. But Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and he said, my father, and he said, here here are my son. And he said, look, the fire (laughs) and the wood. Um, Dad, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Even Isaac knows it's a burnt offering. I think that's interesting. He knows exactly what they're to do, but we're missing something. (laughs) Dad, we're missing something. I know you've always put your wallet and you've missed that, but we're missing the important part, which is the lamb. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide. And by the way, four is not in the original. It says, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went together. And then they came to, again, the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on the altar, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar, upon the wood. Now, without getting into a huge theological debate right now, listen, why is Isaac important in this? Because uh, the father sets in motion everything that needs to happen for the sacrifice. He sets the place, Jerusalem. He sets the wood, the cross, He sets all of this in motion. And then at one point, he looks at Isaac, who, again, probably in his 30s, and says, son, I need you to get on the altar. Now, if you and I were Isaac, we're like, you're, you, what? You're crazy, old man. I'm not getting on the altar. Do you see the obedience of the son? Even unto death, the New, the New Testament tells us about Jesus. He was obedient even to the cross, even to the point of death. That's amazing to me, that Isaac would willingly get on there. Now, if he is in his 30s, would we not agree that at some point, Abraham, dad, told son what God had told him about what was going to happen to Isaac and him being the promise, right? So at some point, they've had a conversation. Hey, son, just so you know, God told me 25 years ago that you were going to be the promise and through your seed was going to be a great nation. And so Isaac knows that, right? And so there is the faith of Isaac working as well as the faith of Abraham. Something amazing is happening right now. Isaac is also saying, I don't know how God's going to do it, but this is going to be cool. He willingly lays down on the wood. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down freely. It just blows your mind. Could we not spend the entire message tonight right here and how beautiful it is? So, He's bound Isaac, and he laid him on the wood, upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. How long did that take? How long did he have the knife above his his head? Ready to plunge it right into his son's chest. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, finally... <laughs> said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hands on the lad or do anything for, uh, to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, or translated your only begotten son. 
And then Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets of the horns of the uh, the thicket by his horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered up the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said, in the mount of the Lord, it will provide. (laughs) And so the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only begotten son, blessings I will bless upon you, multitude I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemies." And in your seed, this is the important part, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have circled, obeyed my voice, even when it seemed crazy. Isn't that wonderful? Turn back now to Hebrews. So when it says in Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith when he was tested, offered up, Isaac, in which he had received the promise, offered up his only begotten son, in whom it is said, Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So when Abraham was confronted with a promise and commanded by God that seemed to contradict each other. So Abraham was was given two <laughs> statements by God, but they seem to contradict each other. Now, I am at a loss of time here, but this goes back to the way that Hebrews think and not Greeks. Remember Greeks, if they're posed with two uh, ideas and they're conflicting, one must be wrong. That's a non-contradictory mind. But a Jew looks at two statements as conflicting and they say, Yes, they're both right. And this proves that because Abraham goes, I don't know how to reconcile it in my little brain, but I know that there's a promise and God is going to do the work. I don't know how he's going to do it. Maybe he'll raise them up from the dead, but God was able to do that. And so Abraham obeyed God by faith when he did not know why God was working in the way that he was working. Again, why would God want Abraham to sacrifice his son when it was the Lord who gave him the son in the first place? I mean, this goes to the very thing of sometimes God just tells you something, and you're like, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'm going to obey anyway, Lord. Because ultimately, again, I know that you are a good, good father. The test of faith became more difficult as we walk with God. You see that the tests were in the beginning. Abraham, are you going to trust in me? And so by faith, he left the Ur of the Chaldees, didn't he? And then he got to the second step until God had had this pattern with Abraham that he was trusting in God to provide for him and for his family. And at the end of it, he got to this place. Again, the tests of faith become more and more difficult as we walk with God Yet the rewards are more wonderful, and we must not ever forget Abraham and Isaac as a perfect picture of what was to follow. <laughs> Again, look at, look at this. We're almost done. We're wrapping it up here. Uh, if I knew where I am. 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Now, you think, so, okay, but I, I mean, what's the big... What's the big uh, step of faith there? Isaac teaches us that sometimes going against tradition and family ideals and listening to God is more important than tradition. Why? Who was first, Isaac or Jacob? Come on now. Esau. Who was the heel catcher? Jacob, his name means heel catcher. Jacob, that's his name. So who gets the blessing? Esau does. That's tradition. That's what everybody does in the Middle East. The firstborn always gets the double portion. 
And yet, Jacob is going to get the blessing. And even when his dad learns <laughs> that Jacob tricked him, right, we don't even have time to go into that about how he put hair all over his body and his, you know, because his brother's name's Harry, right? And he puts goatskin, and mom's involved. Don't get mom's involved in that either. That was a whole thing. Even when Isaac learned of the deception, he still trusted God. And he went against family tradition. <laughs> Remember, he, has, he is blessing Jacob the younger instead of Esau the older going against tradition. Oftentimes we need to make a stand against man-based traditions and listen to the word of God and hold that higher than man's traditions. Again, how many times did Jesus say that? You guys hold to the doctrines of men over the word of God. And by faith, Jacob when he was dying, blessed, he did the same thing. He blessed the son of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And then lastly here, by faith, when he was dying, Joseph made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. The faith of Joseph was certainly remarkable. After the way his family had treated him, you would think that he would have abandoned his faith. I mean, they sold him into slavery. You'd think he would give up. Every time something happened to Joseph, you'd think he'd give up. This is dumb. I'm not following this God. You know what happens to me kind of like every couple of years? Something bad. But instead, his faith grew stronger. Even the ungodly influences of Egypt didn't weaken him in his trust in God. Joseph did not use his family, his job, or his circumstances as an excuse for unbelief. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. Joseph did not use his family, his job, or his circumstances as an excuse of not trusting God. I mean, yeah, the circumstances stink. He's got a terrible family. Potiphar's wife said all of these things against him that were not true. The baker forgot him in jail. <laughs> we're like, hey, buddy, uh, remember, when me, remember me when you get back to, you know, Pharaoh's court. Got it. Totally forgot him. He could at that point, like, that's it. I'm tired of trusting in this God. He didn't let the circumstances dictate his trust in God. But too many people, when they have a circumstance or a family or a job, they look at it and go, I'm done with God. Why, why are you so quick to throw God away when it's not that? It's not him. You know, people get burned by church, do they not? I mean, nobody here. Right? Like, no, you've never had a bad experience in church. And people then blame God for that, and they stop going to church. Like, it's God's fault. No, there are human beings on planet Earth. And there are sinful people, and in church, somebody's going to say, like we started tonight's message, something very hurtful. And they don't necessarily mean it that way. It just comes out that way. Guys, have you ever noticed that when um, people don't know what to say, they say something dumb. And, and if you take nothing else from tonight, just say, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just be a listener. But we always want to fix things. I mean, like men, we just want to fix things. And, you know, sometimes our wives just need you to sit there and listen and not just try to fix the situation. Just listen. But we just want to give our opinion. No. I know what you're going through. No, you don't. You have no idea what I'm going through unless you've been right in my shoes. But we say that as a cultural thing. I know what you're going through. No, you don't. And even if you went through it, my pain or my family's pain is different than yours because every situation is different. Every situation is different. 
Joseph also knew that he belonged in Canaan and not Egypt. I love that. He knew that Egypt was not his home. He made them promise to take his bones out of Egypt. And and in Exodus, they did. They carried his bones and buried him. Guys, we have to admire the faith of the patriarchs here in Hebrews 11. They did not have a... (laughs) They did not have a complete Bible. Do you know that? They don't have what we have. They don't know what we know. Job didn't know chapter 2. I don't know about you, but I want to talk to Job. Like, Job, when did you read chapter 2 of Job? Which describes the battle of the devil and the Lord. Be like, can we never bring my name up ever again in heaven? Ever. He didn't know that. These guys didn't have the complete Bible. They had portions of it, and that alone. They ha- uh, handled God's promises down from one generation to another. They, excuse me, they handed it down so that the next generation would trust in God in the promises that were fulfilled in the previous generation. In spite of their failures and testing, these men and women believed God, and, and God bore witness to their faith. How much more then should we through the lives of the heroes of faith? There are so many lessons through the men and women through the Bible. Well, read ahead next week. We will start with Mo and we'll work through the prophets. We'll get to, we'll, we'll get to even a harlot named Rahab next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. And we thank you, Lord, for your word We thank you for our time, and we thank you, Lord, for the the wonderful lessons of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We thank you, Lord, for their examples not to quit, not to give in, even when people say the wrong things to us, that we put our trust in you and not in man nor man's traditions. Thank you, Lord, for our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We'll work.